Hey, you. Yes, you. You're listening to Business SOS. Yep, Business Stories of Success, where we interview successful business owners for successful business owners. How do they make it happen? How do they keep it going? Join us with your host and business advisor, Mark Adams. Hello, hello, hello. You're with Mark Adams at Next Level Business Advisors, and I am happy to present to you the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Mr. Charles Addy. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. It's my pleasure having you. We, we've uh, This is our second dance, so just full disclosure, this time we're going to get it even better. Charles is with, he owns the 360 Blueprint. He is a financial uh, advisor. And he is here to tell us a lot about success. So I'm, I'm interested to jump into this with you. I'm excited to do it. Uh, we'll start the way we always do. Tell us a little bit about you from your perspective and your business. Yeah. So again, Charles Addy, financial advisor here in Houston, Texas. And I work with my clients on several different fronts, but primarily I help them create a financial plan. I help them invest their money and I help them protect themselves with insurance. So those are my three key business offerings. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, we were talking before, uh, you told me a lot about how you came up with this name. And that was so interesting to me because I'm like the 360 blueprint. Like, where'd you get that from? How'd you do that? Yeah, so I mean, I think I'm like most people, I'm a product of my environment. So my name came from Jay-Z, to be quite frank. Um, <laughs> I recall I was in Dallas, Texas, driving to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to talk to some students about accounting. And I had this concept in my mind, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what type of name did I need for my business. And I was listening to, I think it was a Blueprint 2 or Blueprint 3. And there's a song playing on repeat called On to the Next. And I just kept hearing the word Blueprint, 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 Blueprint. And I kid you not, I was driving and I said, that's it. I want to provide my clients the Blueprint. I called it Blueprint 360 because it affects every aspect of their lives. But more importantly to me, it was a realization that for minorities, right? We have to be just a little bit different to get ahead. So I wanted to be the one to provide that blueprint to the minority population because we can't do it the same way as everybody else in terms of building wealth. So that's where that name came from. Okay, all right. Now you done touched a little nerve there. What do you mean we can't do it the same way as everybody else, brother? What do you mean? Well, I mean, there's lots of different schools of thought. I'll just give it to you frankly. There's a thing called the black tax, and I don't want to get too deep into it. Okay. But when you think about it, as a minority, you're typically getting paid a little bit less than your counterparts. You typically have a lot more debt than your counterparts. You're typically responsible for looking after family as compared to your counterparts. So our ecosystem, our environment is very different as compared to our, you know, those other people out there who have, in my opinion, an easier path to building wealth. So with that being said, with, with that being said, I realized that I had to keep true to who we are as people and recognize the values that we have in our communities, not just African Americans. I'm speaking about Asian Americans, speaking about Hispanic Americans. We all have different value sets that we have within our communities. And how do you respect those value sets and also have a conversation about building wealth? And that's what I meant by the blueprint, because every community looks at it a little bit differently. I just happen to focus on the African-American community, and I think I found a strategy that works for me and my clientele that helps them build the wealth that they need to build, but also respecting their family values. 
Oh, wow. I like it. I like it. And that's cool. I mean, in a way, and tell me if I'm wrong, you kind of defined a specific niche. You, you, yeah. you, have, you can identify with a specific set of individuals and business owners. Am I right about that? And, and so you can talk to them specifically. That's really powerful because when we talk about one of the secrets to success or the story of success for business owners, they say that there is riches in niches. And so if you can successfully find something, then you can talk to those individuals. Have you, am I accurate in saying that you've successfully found something that's helping you to build your business and find success? Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's interesting you asked that question because I recall when I first started out in the business in 2010, all right. So I came to this profession by way of accounting. I was an accountant first, came to this field and everybody tells you, you need to work with the wealthy people with money. You need to work with people who have some age behind them, 45, 50 plus, because they have more assets than those who are 25, 30, 45, whatever the case might be. Okay. And I kind of pushed back against that. I said, that's not who I wanted to help when I got into the industry. So I said, how can I identify my tribe? And the tribe that I came to love are those people who are just like me. I call them my first generation professionals. So that is not defined by a race. That's not defined by a color, right? It's defined by an experience. They are the first generation in their family who are professionals, typically making in excess of $100,000, right? And they have the same mindset as me because through their lifetime, they've seen their parents struggle and hustle, right? They've also realized that they have to be the ones or they choose to be the one who reset the generational trends for their family and they have to protect and provide. So I'm able to have a conversation with them at a level that is authentic because it's my story as well. And I'm able to pull on some strings and say, I understand your experience because I went through that too. So when you have to set aside $500 for mom and dad to help them make ends meet on their side, you got to forego some personal things that create some emotional challenges for you to reconcile where you're saying, I went to school four years, five years, maybe even eight, depending on your profession. I'm making this money, but I can't benefit from it financially. So yes, to your point, I've definitely defined the niche, but the niche that I defined, I think it's a little bit different than most because I'm tapping into that emotional appeal, that psychological appeal, as opposed to just doctors or dentists or accountants that I was told to target at first. Now I focus on people who have the right mindset, who are ready to be opened up and you know take their financial lives to the next level, who are willing to buy into my process. And that's how I define my niches. I love it. I love it. You know, you're dropping these gems and people are like, man, this guy's dropping gems. I need to talk to him. And I forgot to ask you. So let me ask you right now. How do we find you? How can we find you and your services in your company? Absolutely. So if you want to find me, you can find me online. It's very simple. Go to www.theblueprint360.com. That's T-H-E, the word blueprint, B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T, 360.com. I love it. I love the fact that you spelled it out so that there will be no mistakes. It's important to do that. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you know, how many times I've been trying to find things online and one letter off and it's over. So spelling it out is critical. Awesome. Now, you you mentioned that you've been in business. Did I get it right? You started in 2010. How long have you been in business? I want to just clarify, make it clear. Yeah. So I started in 2010. So I'm going on year number 12 at this point. Congrats. That's a nice milestone. How, uh, what's your role in your business? What role do you yeah, play? So, yeah. So I'm the founder. Well, I call myself the founder and visionary, right? But really I'm the fine, I'm the founder and lead financial advisor for my firm. 
I have two contractors that I work with. One is a pair planner and one is a client service associate. So it's three of us in total. The two of them are part-time, but I am definitely the founder of the firm. Nice, nice. Now, you said you went to school. Did you go to school for accounting? I did, LSU. The time. Okay, the all right. Time. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, and what makes you an expert in your field? You know, they say when you get out of school, you learn just enough to hurt somebody. So what, <laughs> what makes you an expert now? You know, it's funny you ask that because to your point, a lot of people coming out of school today are people with a degree. They feel like they've mastered something. And one thing that I realized personally is that I feel like I didn't master it until maybe three or four years ago. And that comes from learned experiences because the technical side you learn in the textbooks, but trying to apply those technical education and trainings to individual circumstances when you deal with emotion, sometimes they don't really coincide. So um, I would say I got really good at what I'm doing based off of my client experiences and working with people over the years. So I think year eight was my tipping point where I'm like, I finally got it. I know how to have the conversation. I know what conversation I'm trying to have, right? And I know the sequence of how to provide my recommendations to make my clients accept it. And I think that part right there is the key. How do you make your target market? How do you make your clientele accept what you're prescribing so they can actually implement and take action? I like the way you said that. Make your clientele accept what you're prescribing. You sound like a doctor. That's what we all are, right? Any consultant, that's what we are. We are... Any consultant, we are like doctors because we got a, a client comes to us like the patient comes to a doctor. They tell us their problems, just like a doctor. And the doctor needs to listen, ask questions, and then prescribe a solution, typically in the form of a drug. We're doing the same thing, right? It just so happened that my solution might be, hey, before you go any further, create a budget. Or let's rebalance your 401k. Or it could be, let's cover up this gap in your insurance plan that you have not taken care of. So I liken my profession to a doctor. I think many consultants can do the same thing. Yeah. Well, the good ones do, right? You ever go to a doctor <laughs> and you're like, hey, doc, my hip hurts. It take two, two Tylenol and call me in the morning. No, no, <laughs> you know, it's really broken. I need it set. So a good one does. So that's the difference too. You know, when you talk about a, a good, a, a professional, a good professional versus just an average one. And I didn't talk to average professionals on this podcast. I talked to those who are successful, hence stories of success. So thank you for sharing that. That's a key that I want to highlight for people, right? Especially for those business owners who are in the consulting field, right? It's not just knowing your craft. It's learning how to craft what you know to the person you're speaking to, which requires that you have to be a good listener, right? Yeah. Well, I think being a good listener is half of it, right? But I think Mm -hmm. the other part is don't take it personal. Because oftentimes as the expert in the room, you're going to tell a client what you think they should do based off what they told you. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to do it. And you are oh. just so frustrated because like you can see the hurdles that they're going to encounter maybe a week or two weeks or a month or a year or even five years down the line. And you want us to slap them and say, hey, just do this. I know it, <laughs> but you can't do it, right? You have to sometimes be by their side through the mistakes, allow them to make their mistakes because that's how they learn. And when they do fall, be right there to pick them up and say, listen, we were planning for this, right? This is an easy fix, let's do X, Y, and Z. Because as an expert, you have to be able to build those contingencies into your recommendations to make sure that you can help your clients when mistakes do happen. And that's where you know I try to pride myself on and I hope everybody listening does the same thing because those mistakes will happen. But the real question is, 
are you prepared to help your clients through those mistakes? Oh man, you sound like a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Mark, I haven't been doing this for 12 years. (laughs) Okay. 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 All right. I got you. Hey, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, because I think we chatted about this in the past. So you started with accounting. You're not an accountant anymore. How did you decide on the specific approach to say, I'm going to leave accounting and go into financial advising? Why did you do that? How did you decide that? Yeah, I mean, if I had to be honest, um, I think I went into accounting out of fear because I knew from a very young age, I think maybe sixth or seventh grade, that I wanted to be a financial advisor. And I didn't really know what that word meant because that wasn't part of my universe at the time. Like I didn't know any financial advisors as a kid. So I did not say I want to be a financial advisor, but I did know I wanted to help people learn how to manage money mm. in a way that would help people who had similar circumstances as me, right? So I grew up poor, we'll call it what it is, right? My family made ends meet, right? And I was frustrated. And it wasn't until I think a friend of mine at the time, his family took a trip to Disney World off of stock options that I started this curiosity where I was like, wait, it's a stock option, what's that? So I learned about stocks. And then I said to myself, you know what, Chuck? How do you build wealth with no money? So then I learned about taxes, right? So that's how I got into accounting because I wanted to understand how money works. But at the accounting firm that I was at, we we're working with clients that, for lack of a better word, I mean, they were, they were good. Their, their issues was trying to, how to, trying to figure out how to squeeze another billion dollars in profit, right? <laughs> and, and, and I felt bad because I wasn't touching the population that I thought I was meant to touch, mm. i.e. the average person. So I made a tough decision to leave the accounting firm and I took a pretty sizable pay cut. If I'm not mistaken, it was probably like 50 or 60% that I lost in earnings just to come back and do what I was doing within the community that I wanted to touch. And a lot of people thought I was crazy, my mom included, right? She was like, why are you leaving? I mean, listen, she, she, she struggled for me to go to college. I got a good job. I'm making good money. And I come home one day and say, mom, I think I'm about to quit and I'm going to start the being a financial advisor. And she says, you're going to be an insurance salesperson? <laughs> I said, I said, mother, no, it's different. And she says, but you don't know anybody rich. And I think that's one of the things that I had to, you know, really, you know, deal with is I had a dream of working with a certain set of people who had no money. And my challenge was, how do you become profitable doing this? Oh, right? yeah. That was a challenge. The vision was clear. How to make it work within the realities of my target client was a challenge that I had to figure out. Wow. Wow. Man, that might end up being a whole nother uh, podcast because that you got me intrigued, but I only a lot of certain amount of time. And, and, <laughs> and I don't know, that might, that might be uh sit down with some bourbon. And, and but, Okay. Sorry. That's a whole different discussion. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to okay. pivot just a little bit. And it's nice because you work with a number of different people. Uh, and of course, you are your own business owner. How do you define success then? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think this is one of my favorite questions. Um, for me, I define success not by the amount of money I make, but more importantly, about the number of lives I can touch, right? Because I think it's very easy for me to, what I call, take the easy way out and adjust my practice to only focus on millionaires, Right but there's so many people out there really affecting them, touching them, helping them, assisting them. I focus on those who are aspiring millionaires. So okay. for me, I look at it from a perspective of 
How many people have I made a millionaire? How many people have I helped pay off their debt? How many people have I helped get their estate planning in order, right? So I break out all my service offerings into their own individual part and I start keeping count. So I'm like, okay, this year I did 25 estate plans. This year I provided insurance to 40 people. This year I helped 10 people open up Roth IRAs, right? That's the success because I tell myself if it wasn't for me in their lives, they probably would not have done it or if they would have done it, it probably would have been delayed three years to come. So I am accelerating, hopefully, the, the, the transition of the color of wealth in America by helping my population, particularly African-Americans, of course, first-generation professionals, do the right things to get on that track to building wealth. Okay. So do you consider yourself successful so far in your quest? <laughs> I mean, it's a work in progress, right? So I will say um, I've done a lot, right? I've been on boards. I've written articles for national magazines. I've touched probably now 250, 300 plus clients, right? But I don't think I'm there yet. I think I need to do more because there's so many more people out there who are struggling to make it. They're looking for the right advisor to give them guidance. And I have not amplified my message enough to that now it's widespread. I'm here in Houston, Texas. The, the majority of my clients are in this surrounding area, right? But there's a whole nation. <laughs> right? There's so many more people out there that need to be touched. So I think for what it's worth, I've done, I've done well, but my aspirations in my vision is so much larger that I'm really hoping that um, in the next few years, if things work out the way they need to, or when things work out the way they need to, um, I'll be able to bring on more associates, more advisors to take what I'm doing here in Houston and spread it across. Because I think, um, you know, this will be something new and different that the market really needs and can really help a lot of people. Okay. You said if, and then you said, and you changed, you said when, why'd you change it to when? You know, they say you are what you think, right? So okay. if you put that doubt in yourself and you leave it open-ended, like it might or might not happen, then chances are probably won't. But if you speak with, you know, uh, 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 what's the word I'm thinking of? If, if, if you're confident about it, and you say when it happens, it's almost like you're putting yourself on the clock, right? It has to happen. So I'm just training my mind to, to speak about my goals from the standpoint of it's already done, as opposed to maybe I can, maybe I won't. No, I want to speak conviction over my goals and I want to make sure I hit. Nice, nice. Did you do that, like train your mind when you started as well? Or did you like learn this little tidbit later on? Yeah, these are all learned behaviors. I'll tell you, when I came into the profession, you know, you got to keep in mind, what is the mind frame or the mindset of someone who grew up without? You're always planning for that what if, right? And I talked about that earlier. So I was always hedging my bets. I was always one foot in, one foot out, right? So it wasn't until my first job, well, my second job, my first job in this profession, that my boss that I worked for at the time, she said, Charles, you need to have some more conviction about yourself. You need to carry yourself a certain type of way because if your client is listening to you, if they can't feel your confidence, then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. So I started to modify the word choices that I was using as I communicate, and I started to do a better job of speaking confidently. So it's definitely a learned behavior, but I think it's one of the best things I could have done for myself in this profession because it gives my clients the ability to believe in me as I speak more confidently. That's true too. You're right. You, you have, especially when you're consulting, 
right? You have to exude confidence, right? Sometimes you might not even be sure, but even when I'm not sure, I exude confidence when I tell you, man, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell a client in a minute, I'm not sure. But what I am sure of is that we will address it as it comes. We will make the modifications as required, and we will get where we need to be. You exude that confidence, it makes a difference. But you know, Mark, I'll tell you, that's probably one of the most difficult things that we can do as professionals, because we want to get it right every single time. I don't know about you, but the way I feel about my clients is like, once I'm working with you, I feel an immense sense of responsibility. And if I go home after making a recommendation, and I start thinking, did I make the right decision? Should I do something different? And that Monday morning quarterback starts to kick in, I feel really, really bad. So I want to prevent that from happening all the time. So in the past, right, I used to struggle with analysis paralysis. Mm -hmm. right? and, and I still do a little bit, but the reality is the one thing that I've learned that I think is most impactful for me at this stage of my career is your clients are more understanding than you think. Oh, they yeah. Will accept, they will accept little mistakes as long as you transparently own up to it so now my mindset has shifted to trying to get it perfect i'm just trying to move the ball that's the nice to get to the next first down because i know if i string up enough first downs in a row right enough major decisions we will get to that end point of hopefully that million dollar portfolio that five million dollar nest egg that generational wealth that we're all aspiring to have so that's the context of my job but I think for me, just realizing that perfection is something that you can't have was probably one of the most challenging things that I can have because I was so determined to do it right every single time. Got it. Got it. So would you say that was, and that's one of the questions I was going to ask, is that one of the big mistakes you made when you started out, that analysis by paralysis trying to, to get it perfect? Yeah. Well, I mean, the analysis paralysis was in every aspect of what I did, right? So before I took the job at the firm I was at previously, I interviewed with six different companies. I talked to over 15 different advisors in the profession to figure out where I should go, right? Just think about that. I mean, I'm what, 20, 23, 24 at the time, interviewing six times, six different companies, talking to 20 different professionals. That's a lot, right? That but is. If I would have remembered the songs, right? On to the next by Jay-Z. He was talking <laughs> because listen, in his lyrics, he says, you can't be afraid to fail in search of perfection. Right? Okay. He says that. Right? So again, yes, it's one of the things I struggle with. I'm still struggling with it now, but I am committed to not letting that be a hindrance, right? Because I think we need to keep moving forward. And that's my goal. Nice, nice. So let me ask you this question, because this is a mistake. I won't say it's a mistake, but maybe it, it's it's a challenge that you have, right? And you said you, you, you even now. So this we're talking about the story of success, right? How do you manage that challenge in such a way that it doesn't inhibit your successful growth for your your practice and for your clients? It's something that I think our listeners want to understand, right? I'm, I have my own weaknesses. How do I manage it so it doesn't hold me back? Well, you know, it's funny. It's really easy for me to manage it for my clients because I can see it happening, ah. right? Because I'm the expert in the room. So I can tell them, don't overthink it. We'll just do this and we'll keep it moving. But as I look at my business specifically, it's more challenging because it's my money being spent, right? Mm. So when I need to make a hiring decision, I'm interviewing four or five people. Now I got to pick the right one. I'm a small business owner. Just me and two, two contractors. 
every dollar counts. So what I've actually learned to do is trust my team, right? So this last time when I went to go hire um, a contractor, instead of doing all the hiring myself, I hired an HR professional to draft out the job description. She also did the first round of interviews and she brought to me a listing of five people for me to pick the ones I wanted to interview. So I picked three and then together we made the decision on who's the best fit. So I'm not relying on self anymore. Right. And I, I think love it. that was the biggest transition because in the past, I would have always said it makes no sense for me as a single owner, business owner, right? Solopreneur to hire an HR professional to help me make a hiring decision. That didn't make sense to me. But now I see the value in team and getting the outside person's perspective who you're paying a fair price for their services to offer you guidance and assistance in a space in which they are a professional in. So I had to become a client of someone else's to see how to do these the right way. And I can tell you from this hire that she helped me with, it was a good decision. And I would have never given this person the opportunity because on the surface, they did not look like what I wanted the person to look like. But whenever you compare the job description and the action that needs to be done on the job to this person's background, it was almost a perfect fit. Wow. And that's the one thing that I learned in teaming with other people or hiring the right professionals. And again, the right professionals, um, you can overcome a lot of your personal um, um, challenges. And that's what I did. I love that. I love that. You know, I always say it's one of my, I, I made this one up myself. I steal a lot of pe- people's words all the, in fact, that's what I do. I'm a great uh, plagiarist, but this one I came up with the entrepreneur walks alone because yeah. most entrepreneurs are by themselves in their own little world. They're making their own decisions and that you're right. Mistakes are made, but the ones that can look beyond themselves who can find the value in teams and partnerships and strategic alliances those are the ones who find success. So I'm glad that you shared that with us, that, you know, you've overcome a personal challenge by hiring or finding a good qualified professional to assist you. And if you do that, especially as a business owner, you will find that it will catapult you to success. So that's a really nice point that you brought out. Thanks for sharing that. Um, let me ask you this question, and I think it's kind of tied, maybe. I'll find out based on your answer. What's the single most important quality you think you need to be successful as a business owner? Oh, I mean, this answer changes every time I get a question like this based off my mood <laughs> and what's happening today in my life. Ah. Um, what I'll say is the single most, I guess I'll say empathy still. I think empathy. You have to have the ability to put yourself in your client's shoes. You have to be relatable. Right. Um, and I think that's very important because oftentimes we forget about the human side mm. of what we're doing and we focus on the output. Right. So when your profession is how many tax returns can you do? Right. Mm. My profession is how, how many assets can I manage? But the reality is behind those dollar signs, the balances of an account is still a person. So being able to listen to the conversation and understand their pain points and their challenges before you ask for the money. Mm. I think for me has taken me very, very far because my clients look at me not only as a trusted advisor, but also a friend. Mm -hmm. Majority of my clients have been working with them for eight years now, maybe 10 for some of them, right? I've been there for them when they had their first child, right? Happy time, 
but I've also been there for them when they had their divorce. Mm. Sad time. I've been there when a parent passed away, right? About there for a promotion. So just being able to empathize with them and let them know that you care more about them than the potential revenue you'll make off of them. For me and what I'm doing and what I'm trying to build has by far been my biggest asset. Okay. I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Changes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it, it, it definitely does change. You know, it's funny because that question is one of my favorite questions to ask business owners um, because no two answers are alike. You know, I, I think now this I'm 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 interviewing my in my fifties as far as this podcast fifty ish editions, very whatever you call it uh, episodes, and episodes, no yeah. yeah 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 and no two answers are alike. But I will say this: if I did if I've done fifty five interviews, probably fifty three are good answers. I got a couple of whack ones, <laughs> you know, but, but for the most part, you know, and what I like about that is it gives me this more rounded picture of what it takes to be successful. Right. And so I love that one about empathy, especially for people who are in the, I'm going to say advisory arena. You're a financial advisor. I'm a business advisor, you know, and a lot of times, and for me, you know, and, and you have an accounting background. So we look at numbers, like we analyze numbers. There's some business advisors who don't know anything about numbers. They just talk about business process. So for me, I can get very analytical and numbers, 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 and I can come up with a plan and it's like, okay, you want to save $500,000, this is how you do it. But there's a psychological side, like you said, right? Where they're like, but I can't do that. And if we, if we have no empathy, we're like, well, this is it, buddy. So either you do this or you don't do it. And we had to get that empathetic side. So for, for advisors, what I'm getting is the single most important quality for a business owner who is in the advisory capacity, whether it's financial or other areas, is empathy. Yes. Right. I love it. I love it. You know, doctors, for instance, some of them are so, you know, they, they talk about bedside manner. And bedside manner is not about clinical expertise, it's about personalities, about empathy. Yeah. So I, I love that. I love that answer. And you're right. It did change from the last time, but it's all good. I love it. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Um, have you ever had a coach or a business mentor advisor that you've worked with? Yeah. So I've, I've actually had a few. Um, most recent time was last year, um, January. Um, I hired a coach to help me with my operational side of my business. Yes. So I've had some. Okay. How do, have they helped you? How have they helped you to improve your business? What are some valuable things they've done for you? Yeah. So if this any. last one, it was a very difficult. So as a business owner, you are attached to your baby. So mm. in my case, I have my fee schedule, what I charge. I have my standard service offerings, what I offer my clients. I have the way I interact with them and communicate my meeting frequencies, so on and so forth. And when I tell you this business coach came in and she tore my stuff up, I was mad because I've been with this for five years doing it the same way. And I expected some small tweaks, but not no major overhaul changes to the way I was doing things. Um, so that was a very difficult time for me because, again, this is my baby. I've been growing Blueprint 360 for a very, very long time. I've been doing things where I've been doing it, thinking that it's right. And... It took me a while to come around, but at the end of the day, I must admit, again, the team, we go back to that word team. 
I hired someone to help me out that came in, diagnosed my practice, listened to what I wanted to build. And she said, Charles, you got to make some changes. So what we ended up doing was, was we simplified a lot of my messaging, mm. right? We simplified a lot of my processes to only focus on what's really essential. So for example, very, very short, simple. One of the things that I used to do is a deep dive in the budget with my clients. Okay. The reality is most people hate doing budgets, mm. right? So she asked me, by doing this budget, what are you really trying to get at? I said, well, my only purpose I have my clients do a budget because I want to figure out how much money can they save per month. She said, okay, fine. Let that be your focus. And stop saying, let's do a budget. How much can you save? Well, that's not how you do it. You got to do a budget first. She says, Charles, most people, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert, they spend what they have in their bank account, don't they? I said, yeah, that's true. Well, then just take some away from them. You accomplish your savings goal. They spend the rest and you're fine. And then I said, well, what about debt? She's like, okay, well, that's the next thing. So you can monitor the debt. But again, it's these conversations where she's challenging the way I'm communicating to my clients, the messaging, right? She's encouraging me to focus on what's most important and how much can you save in order to get to the end goal of now taking that savings and putting it into an investment vehicle to grow wealth, right? So again, Love it. trusting a team, another person to come in and be critical and exposing myself to criticism. I love it. I love it. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that because that's one of the hardest things for people, at least for analytical people, right? Yeah. We know exactly what needs to be done, but how to put it in a way that the non-analytical an, an person can right. not only learn it, but digest it and say, okay, that's what I'll do. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> and so you reached out, you found a mentor who can help you to, to re-articulate what you need to accomplish and boom. That's cool. That's cool. So now I'm going to, I'm going to change that a little bit. Cause you said, you know, you found this mentor um, who tore your stuff apart, Correct. but you had to have something about you in order for you to accept it, which made you successful. What would you think that would be? What would you say that is? Again, how I define success. So the way I define success is how many lives can I touch? So if a client or a prospect, whatever you want, we want to call them is coming to my firm. I have a conversation but they're not accepting my proposal to move forward. There's a, there's a, there's a kink in my plan, right? There's a bottleneck somewhere that I need to figure out what's going on. And at this particular time, I was losing lots of clients. And I said, listen, I have a problem. I have to acknowledge it that people are coming to me, they're finding me, but they weren't sticking. And what she told me quite frankly, she says, Charles, you're overwhelming them. Mm. Overwhelming them. Cause I used to send, after the first discovery call, I just sent him an email with four or five action steps. She says, Charles, that's too much. Give him one thing to do each time you communicate with them. Focus on what's truly important. So again, why did I reach out? It's because how I define my success was how many lives can I touch? I can't touch somebody if they're not accepting my proposal. So I realized I had an issue, hired a coach, and we fixed some things. Nice, nice. And then you had self-reflection in I would say humility to be able to, uh, to say, okay, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust that's that, you know, I have had some coaches tell me things and I'm like, kick rocks. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and then when, when I fail miserably, then I go, hmm, maybe I should try what they say. You know? <laughs> well, 
Well, so I didn't tell you the full story. So what really happened was this consultant came back with a list of recommendations. I rejected every single one at first. <laughs> okay. But the one thing that I did was I kind of have a client board of directors informally. Clients that I trust, who I've, who I've been with for a very, very long time. And as we were having our review meetings, I was telling them what's happening with my practice. And I told them some of the recommendations that the consultant told me. And the clients were like, oh, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. So in my circumstances, it was like, wait, an outside person who doesn't know me is being critical and telling me what she's observing. Then I talk to my clients and I'm asking them for their feedback and they're agreeing with the consultant. And they're also telling me, you know, Charles, that's why sometimes when you give me the list, I don't respond because it's too much. You have to, you have to buy into it at that point, right? So it took me some time to buy into it. And I can tell you, you know, we're still as a firm working through all the recommendations to mm. break things down to their individual pieces. But again, having that confirmation from my clients to say this is indeed an issue was the catalyst to get me to change my original reaction to the recommendations and say, hey, I'm actually going to give this a try because I was resistant to change on the onset for sure. Oh, I like I like that. And I appreciate that. I mean, that, that's how we all learn, like to hear the honest admission. So thanks so much. It's interesting when you say that. It makes me think of something that I had came up with a while ago. I was doing a mastermind for last year, like just small business owners. And I talked about everybody having their own advisory board, meaning a group of people, not large, three, four, five, who you know, like respect and trust, who are not necessarily your colleagues or your just people that you know, that know you. So that when you get an idea, you bounce it off of your small advisory board, your personal advisory board to see if it holds any weight. Because a lot of times, like I said, the, that's all tied to the entrepreneur walks alone. You know, something will come and I get this all the time and I'll, I'll have to make a decision and I'm here in the office and I'm like, okay, should I do it? And in my own mind, you know, I'm a hamster on a wheel. So I have my little board and I share it out. And, I, you know, even with my podcast, if I do a podcast interview and I'm like, I wonder if I need to tweak this or this didn't come out right. I have a small board and they listen to my podcast and they go, Mark, you know, cool. That's good. We all need that as business owners. So you can have a mentor. You can have an advisor. You can have a coach if you want to do that. Um, but first things first, and I tell this to people all the time, make sure that they vibe with you. Make sure it resonates. But now if they resonate with you and they come back with something, have your advisory board. If you have any doubts, get a consensus and then you might find more value. So I'm starting to talk too much, but that's what I got from what you said. Well, Mark, well, let me throw in one additional point that I think makes it that needs to be shared. The group of people that I talked to were my existing clients who I wanted more clients like them. Right. So. That was, that was most important to me because before or in the past, I would bounce ideas off of clients that I probably wouldn't want to keep or that weren't really prescribing to the program. So now I had to reshift and refocus my conversation when I'm looking for insight because I want to be able to attract more people like them. Right. So that's how I chose who 
I allow on my advisory board, as you call it, um, to kind of bounce these ideas off of. That's smart. That's smart, right? Uh, you, If you want to the right message, you want the right approach, talk to the people that you want to work with. I like it. Um, doesn't make sense to talk to those you're trying to get rid of. You know, like, when I get this right, I'm dumping you so quick, man. But let me ask you this question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might not work out well. Cool, cool. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to pivot a little bit. Uh, and this is a nice question, I think, for you specifically, because you deal with business owners as well. So what advice would you give to a brand new business owner who's starting out? Yeah, very simple. I think for me, the best thing I could have done, well, the best thing I did for myself was create a budget, right? I think that is tried and true, the most important thing a business owner can do, because if you don't have money coming in, if you're struggling financially, um, your ability to do your job and assist your clients will will, will be greatly diminished. Um, but not only doing the budget, put some stress tests behind it, right? Mm. Ask yourself, what happens if you don't hit your revenue goals? you miss by 20% or 40%, can you still operate? And I think for me, um, that was important because in my case, I overestimated all my income, right? And I underestimated all my expenses, but I had enough cushion in there that I was able to get by. And with any business, the first two or three years are the most challenging. After you get over that three-year hump, you know, you're typically, hopefully on a better foot. So having that budget in place allowed me to get to year number three that allowed me to get to where I am today. Nice, nice. So I, I like that too, because most people overestimate their income when they're starting out, right? They have this, this rose-colored income glasses on. You know, I think uh, I remember talking to a buddy of mine years ago. This was decades before I even got into the business. And he was starting a, a business in uh, Patterson, New Jersey. And he said, yeah, the first year I estimate I'm going to do about a million. I was like, what? Wow. Yeah, he was out of business in the first year. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I don't even think he made a year. It's amazing. But that's what happens. Yeah, it's because it, you know you 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 know what you're doing. You have an idea, you run some numbers real quick and you just go. But you used the term, you said not only make the budget, that's cute, but stress test the budget. That's yeah. essential. That's the key. That's, that's the, key. the money right there. That's the to me, that was by far the most important thing that I did because I knew very early on my break-even point. And now this is again technical, right? I mean, this is accounting words and all that good stuff. But really for me, it's like how much income do you need to bring in in order to be able to pay your personal bills? Mm -hmm. That was my conversation with myself. Right. Yep. But I also at the time, you know, I talked to my family and I said, listen, this is what I'm gonna do. Here's my budget. Here's what I think I'm going to bring in. But if I don't, can I count you guys to assist? And thankfully for me, they all said yes. I don't know where they would. I did not know where they would have got the money from to help. But they said they can. They had my back. And I think that vote of confidence for my family matched with the budget that I put together, matched with the stress test that I had to figure out my bare minimum income. I was able to feel pretty confident about what I was doing next. So when I was having those conversations with my clients. I wasn't going in there sweating, needing to close this deal, close this proposal, get them to say yes, because I knew if I did not get them, based off of what I thought I can get, bare minimum, I'll be okay. Awesome. I like it. I like it. And I, I, I want to highly recommend your advice to new business owners, right? There's a lot of things that you're doing when you're starting out, but a budget is, is, is important. Is if, if you want to have 
a real chance at growing uh, quickly, you need to have some numbers locked in. And that's going to help you break even point. One day we'll do a class. We'll do a financial, uh, a financial intelligence class or something and break all this stuff down. When I, when I um, start my business SOS Academy in 2022, I'm going to have you be a guest speaker. Let's do it. All right. All right. Uh, One more question. And then I'm gonna let you go. If you could go back right before you, you started your business, what advice would you give yourself? Have patience. I tell myself to have patience. Um, I was always a person who was ready to get to the next stage. And I was ready to be the boss before my time, I would say. Um, and I think for me, realizing that this journey is essential to getting the conversation right. Because again, it's not about the technical. And I don't think for most people looking to start a business, they understand the technical side of it. That's right. It's the client side that is most challenging for most people. So for me, I would say I would have had more patience to master that client side first before jumping out and trying to do it on my own. Um, I recall my old firm boss, when I first started working for the firm, she told me, she says, Charles, you have a little bit of an ego. And I took it the wrong way, but in essence, what she was trying to tell me is sometimes you got to humble yourself, be patient, and allow it to come to you instead of thinking you're ready today because you're just not ready. So I will slow down a little bit. I like it. I like it. Hey, that's something that a lot of business owners have to, man, that patient thing is hard, right? Especially when you make the transition because, like, you go from a nice, steady paycheck to now, you know, I got to make money to eat. I got no time to be patient. You know, I got to, I got to eat. I, I always told my clients when I started out, you know, like when I was, I started, I, tra- I was working full time and I was doing this on the side, like most of us thought I've been. So I was whatever, whatever, whatever. But when I left my full time job and this was all I had, oh, that's when he, that's when it's real. <laughs> you know, when you got to feed that belly, it's real. But you still have to have that patience or you will make a see, huge mistake. And see, I started off day one without that safety net. Yeah. Even in my first job, when I transitioned out of accounting, I got a small base salary. If I had to guess, it was like $2,000 a month. Everything else that I made, I had to go find it. I had to go find my own clients day one, right? So I think having that safety net that you mentioned on your side to tiptoe in balance was very, very helpful. The other thing I was going to say is for most business owners, I would say we're pretty ambitious people. Yes. Right? Yes. Oftentimes, the ones that are the most ambitious are the ones that have the least amount of patience because we're used to getting things and succeeding quickly. Right? Yes. I look back at my life and the sports that I played, my ability to master things in school, it all came quickly. Yes. But working with people and getting someone and relying on somebody else, another thing, right? Your clients to be there, right? And I think on my side, I overestimated also how quickly my clients will say yes. Because for the most part, the majority of the individuals I talked to at first, they all came on board. I thought they would come on board day one. They came on board six months or nine months in. So everybody that I thought yes. I was working with, I ended up working with them, yes. But it took almost a year or so to get there. That's right. I was not expecting that. 
that's what my patience. I hear you. I know what you mean too, especially if you do it, they will come. in the in these lines. What we're in, right? You're talking about people with money, right? Like your business is your baby. Wait, my money is my, and you're telling me to come and leave so and so. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> that's something I underestimated too, right? Like you know, I, I, but it makes sense. But it's my baby. It's an emotional thing. So that's that's a good one. Be patient, ladies and gentlemen, when you start your practice or your business. If you're patient and you budget and you're willing to work with a team, I'm summarizing here, you'll be on your road to success. Just look at Mr. Charles Addy, who has the blueprint. <laughs> He's giving you the blueprint, ladies and gentlemen. Take heed, take heed. Hey, man, thank you so much for giving me some time today. This was really, really fun. I appreciate it and look forward to seeing you on your continued road to success. Likewise, Mark, I appreciate it. Thank you for the time. And my pleasure. Did you like that interview? Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Business SOS, and please drop a comment, like us, and share. If you are a successful business owner and would like to be considered for an interview, visit us at businesssospodcast.com. Fill out our form and we'll reach out to you. Our next story of success will be in two weeks. Don't forget to tune in.